0: Thank you. Buddy, and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here from beautiful spring day here in Longmont, Colorado. I've got my partner up in Chicago as we struggle to get through the C-19 virus pandemic that is is we're right in the middle of right now. Larry, how are you doing up there in Chicago? Hey, Jim. Nice to hear
1: from you. Uh, thank you. We're, we're hanging in here on our um, shelter at home order. Uh, which the governor has now extended in conjunction uh, with President Trump's declaration through the end of April. Uh, so as I said to my wife today, we're all just starting to get to know each other. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's a good thing to do. And uh, for me, quite frankly, I've been very busy with all of this uh, application work we have going on here in Illinois. And I think I mentioned to you right before we started, Jim, that due to the, uh, uh, the ongoing nature of the pandemic that Governor Pritzker has now this past saturday signed an order for the second time extending our filing deadline it was supposed to be yesterday it's now been extended to april 30th uh which i think gives everybody a little bit of breathing room uh and uh not all this concern that uh yesterday we were all going to have to be in the post office lined up with each other uh waiting to send all of these in by certified mail uh return receipt requested and for you deadheads out there go no three by five card necessary but uh nevertheless, We now have our extension, uh, which is good, I think, gives everybody a little bit of breathing room. We'll get these things done. So it's just business as usual up here, but it is not a beautiful spring day. We're very overcast, very chilly, a little bit of rain in the forecast. So um, we're all staying inside. And uh, I just uh, keep getting by on my thoughts that you're sitting out there in the barn having a good old time.
0: Yes. Well, I'm actually at my office today. And like I said, looking at a beautiful blue sky with white puffy clouds, but we are snow in the forecast. We might get six to eight inches on Thursday. So we shall see. That's springtime in the Rocky Mountains. Well, Larry, we are fortunate enough today to have some very impressive guests. We have Dr. Leslie Apgar, OBGYN, and her business partner, Gina Dubay. And they have a dispensary in Maryland called Greenhouse Wellness Dispensary. And they've also written a book recently called High Heels, How Two Women Found Their Footing in the Medical Cannabis Industry. So welcome, ladies, to our show.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: Very nice
0: to have you on the show. I
1: I chuckle when I hear the name of that book because I love the double line times, right? I think it's great. Uh, And I look forward to having a chance to ask you about it in a minute. But what's what's so exciting about this is is not only are you guys uh, on our show today and, and have such great information to share. With our listeners about uh, uh, what you have done both in terms of your approach towards medical marijuana from a treatment perspective as well as from a a business perspective, but uh, I'm sure Jim would uh, join me and he and I have had this conversation before in saying that we always welcome the opportunity to have guests on our show who are women owning businesses in the industry. It still remains a predominantly male industry and uh, the more women we can get into it, I think the better overall. I think that women tend to bring a different perspective than men. And I heard you talk on your show, whereas I think the implication, not to say the implication, but the uh, the idea is is that men certainly tend to walk around more talking about how strong the THC is, where I think it's nice to have a little bit of focus on palliative uh, effects, and uh, all the other benefits that can come out of it, especially when you start lowering that THC level and increasing the CBD level.
3: Yes, and it's interesting because really the cannabis industry didn't get a great start, and it certainly didn't get a medical start. It got a really recreational one, and so a lot of recreational myths still persist in this industry, and Gina and I really want to elevate it and make it more elegant and get whatever studies we can in place and really focus on the true medical nature of these compounds instead of just going with the old dogma. So it's um, it's a challenge to get people to understand that THC is a very potent molecule with a very narrow therapeutic window, which means that too little won't work and too much won't work and there's just the right amount talk about Goldilocks and it's just right. And that level is potentially different from for everybody. But it's um definitely part of our mission to try and educate everybody.
0: That'd be a good name for a string, Goldilocks.
2: <laughs> it would.
0: Let me ask you
1: this if I can. Um and should each one of you uh, you know just briefly tell us how it was that you, you know, came into the cannabis industry and then maybe just as importantly, how the two of you found each other to be able to to launch this business that you have.
3: So Gina and I uh, were backdoor neighbors. Uh, I moved into the neighborhood in 2002 and Gina welcomed me by bringing me a freshly baked pie as apparently you do when you are from West Virginia. And <laughs> so that's how I met Gina. And over the years, we became fast friends because we have absolutely nothing in common and are completely different with wildly different upbringings. But naturally, we became best friends. And I was approached by a patient years ago in when I was working in my medical spa. And she's somebody I've known for years and years. And she said, "Hey, would you be open to us bidding you as our medical director? we're we're bidding a vertical bid right now, And we know you're from Seattle and you're cool and you're open-minded, And is that something you'd be amenable to considering? I'm like sure. So then the conversation, changed and it included the need for funding. And I said, well, Gina has funding and she can certainly get us more funding. And she's also a venture capitalist and a serial entrepreneur and probably somebody that we would want to partner with. But I said, please don't get her on the phone with your guys out in California unless they're legit because Gina's legit and I don't want to waste her time. Um, Please don't embarrass me. And she assured me that that wouldn't be the case So we got on a conference call after playing tennis because um, we're working moms and constantly cramming two things into one opportunity. So we were in the car together coming back from tennis and we got on the phone with uh, these guys in California. And Gina, I'll let you take it from here.
2: Well, it was an interesting conversation. One of the things that I had asked them was, what's the return profile on the investment? And the guy said to me, oh, honey, you would never understand the math. And I guess we looked at each other, both dumbfounded. And I said, no, no, I assure you, I have an engineering background and I've been a venture capitalist for a number of years. I'll get the math. No, no, we're not going down that path. And so needless to say, Leslie and I looked at each other and said, "Okay, we're not going to do this. By the time I got home and called Leslie, she was just pulling in her driveway. And I said, you know what? We can bid this our damn self. We don't need any help. We don't need anybody. We'll do it ourselves. Now, that was a remarkably um, crazy thing to say at the time, because I had never used cannabis at that point. And so we were jumping into a whole new arena with a doctor and an engineer in something that we knew relatively little about. But starting any business is the same. It's the the mechanics of a business. No cash equals death. You have to have a plan. And the Maryland request for proposal really drilled down into how you were going to train what your business plan was, much more so than the cannabis portions itself. So we wrote the proposal, all 600 pages of it, and tossed it over the wall. And a year later, shockingly, we were one of the highest scoring proposals that went in. And we had our choice of any region we wanted because in Maryland, you could only win one. So here we were looking at each other going, what are we in for now?
3: And and to put that into a little bit of context, Gina had already been approached by other people within the cannabis industry. And for whatever reason, she had turned them down. So she already was tuned into this as an opportunity opportunity that she probably should consider. And I was becoming ever more disenfranchised with traditional medicine because it is all about profit over patient. And it's becoming more and more impersonal. I'm supposed to have a relationship with my laptop computer in the room and put in codes and things and click boxes instead of really connecting and sitting with somebody and really seeing them and listening to them and truly being a doctor. And so that discontent had already started for me, which is why I opened up my medical spa in 2008. But the discontent was growing. And this opportunity, while terrifying to me, because my colleagues told me that I was throwing away my career and my reputation and potentially my medical license and what the heck was I thinking, um, it it did have a little bit more context than we just had this phone call and jumped in. But quite honestly, at the time, we just had that phone call and jumped in and it was a big, giant jump.
0: You have a retail location in Ellicott City, Maryland. Do you cultivate or do you simply buy and sell your cannabis?
2: We simply buy and sell. In Maryland, everything's verticalized. Grow processor and dispensary. We have... um, hopes to get a processor in later rounds, and we've also bid in other states. But in Maryland, we have the dispensary, and then we have a second company called Blaseva, which manufactures a line of women's products that we designed specifically for ourselves.
0: I see. So, so you purchase your cannabis from others?
2: We do. We have 15 licensed growers in Maryland and 15 processors, and so there's quite a range of product. And in our dispensary, we carry about 300 different items, Um, flour, vapes, tinctures, gummies, pretty much the gamut because we deal with patients that have all different issues.
0: Okay. And so what do you look for when you're making your purchases?
2: It's really a variety of things. Um, When we look at flour, we want a blend. We want some high THC, some CBD THC blends. We also want the different terpenes within the cannabis Because as you're aware, the terpenes are really the secret sauce. They're what make people feel different ways and different folks react differently. For vapes, we want to also the different range. We really focus on a lot of tinctures for our patients, especially depending upon their individual condition. So
3: what may be different in Maryland to your guys' states is that Maryland For better or for worse, has been really strict about their testing requirements. And it, of course, adds expense to the process. But they are really, really persnickety about testing and labeling. So that if you go to some other states, you don't know what's in it. You might know what percentage THC or CBD or milligrams, but you don't have anything else. There's no other terpenes or minor cannabinoids that need to be on the label. So we're really lucky because we get COAs for all these different products and we get to dissect into the nitty gritty to select what we want so we can really offer our patients a full spectrum. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of detail, but it's also tremendous.
0: Very good. So you're on the front lines and you're seeing breast cancer patients, postpartum depression, opioid use, uh, and abuse. One of the things I always say is, why would you take opioids when here in Colorado, you can smoke some of the best marijuana in the world? Uh, so tell us about that link between opioids and cannabis to get people off of opioids.
3: So oh, it's funny. Um, I just got the journal article today that we actually published a case report of an individual who used cannabis to come off of her opioids the second time she had a big surgery. The first time she had that surgery or a similar surgery, it wasn't legal in Maryland yet. And the difference in her recovery is just striking. So what we find is that cannabis potentiates opioids, which means that it it makes them work longer and more effectively. And because of that, then the patient can use ever less or lower doses and less often and really get themselves weaned off quite effectively. Secondly, cannabis decreases or eliminates the withdrawal symptoms and the anxiety that is associated with coming off narcotics. So it's it's been profound. It's one of the first things that Gina and I witnessed at greenhouse. We had our very first patient, Patient number one, we call her to this day, who had been injured in the war. I think she had a Humvee accident and had a bunch of hardware in her back. And she was on enough fentanyl to kill a horse. She was on a, a pump, like an insulin pump, but it was a fentanyl pump. And she was also on morphine tablets, multiple, multiple tablets a day. And she was just, her life was ruined. And she was just incapacitated. And she was just waiting for us to open, so that she could start the process. And in three short months, she was off everything. Now, I don't recommend that. That was not part of our plan for her. But she is such a a warrior and a hero. And that was just the beginning. So since then, we've had lots and lots of patients who come in and used cannabis to help them get off of their opioids. And their benzos and their sleep agents and their other medicines that they test. So it's, it's been an exit drug, not a gateway drug.
1: I, I was going to jump in and say I, I, we love these kinds of stories. And to me, what's amazing about them uh, is that we hear the same story all the time. Last week on our show, uh, we had two gentlemen who were former special ops Marines. And uh, now that they're out of the service, uh, they've dedicated uh, their whole cannabis business for helping PTSD and and similarly helping uh, war veterans get off of opioids. But even before that, when I was going to conferences, the group Athletes for Action would always bring in former NFL players and former hockey players. And every single one of them tells the same story that you just told. But obviously, you're not all sitting in the same room coming up with the same story. So what that says to me, a layperson, when it comes to uh, the medical field, is that what we're seeing is more than just a coincidence, right, where, where this really does lend credence to the idea that uh, there is a, a recognized use for cannabinoids in helping people uh, come off of uh, opioids and, and get something back resembling a normal life. And the fact that you're able to uh, come up with the same results. And certainly Dr. Afgar, as, a, as a trained physician for you to be able to see it and understand it and appreciate it for me just means that we're taking one step closer towards the type of, you know, full-scale recognition that this, that this, uh, uh the cannabis needs, not just from the business perspective, but to make it available to everyone out there who can really enjoy these benefits.
3: Yeah. And it's, it's all about the education. So we were really fortunate that, um, Our patient agreed to let us use her as a case report and grateful for the opportunity of the American Journal of Endocannabinoid Medicine for allowing us the opportunity to get that published because really the only way we're going to move the needle is if we push for education and legitimacy. And the first way to do that is to get some studies. Case report is not great as far as doctors consider Literature and um, and studies. I would really want randomized controlled trials, but given the Schedule One status, I don't see that happening in our country for a little while. But once there's enough pressure put on these politicians to say, "Look, here is overwhelming data, anecdotal and case reports, and all the others. We've got to study this plant. You've got to get it off Schedule One."
0: Another thing I always <clears throat> bring up. Is it should be of no surprise to anyone that cannabis has medical attributes because virtually all of our drugs originally come from plants. Aspirin's the bark of a tree, poppies and opium, cocaine and coca leaves. So it should be no surprise that a plant has medical qualities.
3: Yeah, the problem is that the plant is four or five hundred different things. And pharma can't get wealthy on four or 500 different things. They want to take synthetic THC or they want to take the CBD that they've just done, Epidiolex, and they want to be able to monetize that. But as we all know, it's the combination of all of these chemicals and it's the elegance in the way that the plant puts it together that is where the magic happens. And you're not really going to be able to manufacture that in a lab but you can sure as heck grow it in a greenhouse and make a pill out of it and get people much, much better. So it's, it's like I've become a naturopath and I didn't realize it, but uh, I probably should go to naturopath school now and uh, learn all about plant medicine um, because we certainly didn't learn about this in, in the traditional medical school that I attended.
0: Sure.
1: And and, and Dr. Aftar, the question that I wanted to ask you and you were kind enough to talk about with me right before we started this recording. Uh, One of the things we noticed, and and Jim had actually mentioned in the introduction to this, is that you've been experimenting, or or at least uh, testing, with uh, the possible uses of uh, cannabinoids fighting postpartum depression. And the question that I had raised for you is, where where does this fall out in the uh, uh, issue, if you will, between a mother who wants to be nursing her child, uh, but is also battling postpartum depression? And what the current standards are on whether or not uh, uh, it's okay for a mother who's nursing to be uh, uh, smoking marijuana or or taking cannabis one way or another.
3: Right. So as a board certified OBGYN, the American college of OBGYN has a hard stop on cannabis use in pregnancy and breastfeeding in the mouse model. There are actual structural differences in the fetus's brain that persist And we don't know what the implications of that are. It is uh, fairly unethical to study pregnant women and see what happens to their offspring. I mean, we can look back to thalidomide, which was a medicine given for a benign condition, and it resulted in limb loss and abnormalities and terrible, terrible things. So we don't necessarily want to experiment. Now, as Somebody who has been around the block a few times, I can tell you that there are probably a lot of my patients that I was caring for unknowingly they were using, you know, and I didn't know it, and and nobody knew it because um, in our culture it's just not appropriate to disclose that. We'll we'll sick social services on them or whatever. So I do feel that um, there are some medications that are deemed legitimate by the OBGYNs in the world and i can tell you that they probably are more dangerous than cannabis but i don't have studies to prove that and until i have studies to prove that i have to just err on the side of caution and say it's a hard stop we don't recommend that you use this while you're pregnant or breastfeeding and as i was telling you before I can actually kind of understand the science of why people get postpartum depression theoretically, because if your endocannabinoid system is dysfunctional or it's depleted, I can tell you that when you are nursing, you are menopausal, your estrogen levels are really, really low. And estrogen levels falling also cause anandamide to fall, which is your endogenous endocannabinoid. So it makes complete sense that we should be able to supplement a, a breastfeeding mom with cannabinoids to make, you know, to, to get the, um, the anxiety to go away and the depression to go away. So I really look forward to the day where we have the ability to do that safely.
2: Leslie and I are in agreement that what we need in this country is for cannabis to come off the schedule one list because it restricts any kind of federally funded research. And so if we can move it to even schedule two, we can then start research and trials, and the ability to get data that's not anecdotal. Yeah,
3: but how, how silly is it that, I mean, what's Epidiolex, what did that get scheduled at? I, I hazard to even guess. And what about synthetic THC? That's Schedule 3. So how is, schedule, how, how is Synthetic THC a Schedule 3 and the plant is a Schedule 1? I just, I don't understand.
1: Well, because there is no... One of the things that Jim and I try to avoid on our show is politics, but I can talk about this because this is political across the spectrum. I think that the the, the government cover up of THC and marijuana and you know the, the the misinformation that's been spread religiously in this country for the last hundred years is you know maybe the worst cover up that we've ever faced because not only have lives been ruined by people going to jail over something they shouldn't be going to jail for. Think of all of the people who have been denied an opportunity for the healthful benefits because, as you point out very accurately, we can't study it. So we were, we're in a horrible catch-22 where we say, well, we have nothing that shows us it's safe, but we're not allowed to test it to show that it's safe. So we're just going to let it sit here in limbo. And meanwhile, professionals such as yourself are out there in the field actually seeing the benefits that it provides. But no you know, one doctor or even group of doctors can necessarily push that needle in the other direction. What we really need to do, I think, is is to get our government leaders on board with us and change the nature of the message. And the more that they can hear about it from, you know, uh, uh, licensed and registered and respected healthcare care workers, uh, certainly the better for all
0: of
3: us. Yeah, I love what you say. I love how you said that. And I agree completely with everything you said. And in fact, in the last um, appendix of our book, I talk a little bit about the history of of cannabis in our country and actually in human history and how we got to this place that we're in today. But it, it is an absurd story and it would be fun to um, hang out uh, when COVID is over and have a drink and, and talk about all these things with you guys. But love uh, to, yeah, it's, um, it's a big problem. Gina and I definitely feel a responsibility to be the thought leaders and to be the ones leading the charge. And it is exhausting because we are pushing the rock uphill just like Sisyphus did. And it's it's hard to change the recreationally minded people that we are surrounded by. But we really want to legitimize this medicine and we'll publish it and we'll go on the Today Show and we will do podcasts and we'll talk to whoever. And, and really, it's all about the education. So we're committed to it for sure.
0: Really appreciate um, you being on our show today. And, you know, this is the Deadhead Cannabis Show, so we should talk some music. Um, I understand you both have grown children. And, um, you know, what kind of music do you like? You know, what kind of experiences did you have with your kids growing up? Did you go to concerts with them like I did with our sons?
3: Well, we're really fortunate here in Maryland because we have Merryweather Post Pavilion that's just down the street. And we
0: Merryweather Post, love it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> So we're able to see concerts all the time. Um, My husband and I have a very eclectic um, sense of music, but I think, um, well, first of all, let me just go ahead and say, I did go to the Grateful Dead concert in Eugene, Oregon. I'm trying to remember what year it was, but I went in a VW bug. I'm just saying, no, 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 a bus, a bus, a VW bus, light blue so And I have my Birkenstocks and my tie-dye from back in the day. So, yes, I definitely was part of that. I think Little Feet opened for them. But <laughs> um, I, I, I'm i a child of the 80s, you know. So I have, like, the New Wave. I've got the U2. I've got uh, Imagine Dragons and everybody else in between. Um, certainly, I keep my ear to what our kids are listening to. And they often bring up really cool bands that I never would have heard of. And so I'm, I, I will definitely say eclectic is my taste. But one thing that is not in my playlist is what Gina has on her playlist.
2: And I am definitely a country girl. I have listened to country music growing up in West Virginia through my whole life. And my children and my husband and I, we're country music fans. Zach Brown, Little Big Town, Lady Antebellum, You know, we'll go off radar a little bit, but not to the degree Leslie does. So like in most things, Les and I are opposite on everything.
1: Before we let our our guests go, there is one last question I want to ask, because we touched on it at the opening, uh, and I think it's important. Can you please just give us uh, and our listeners a a, a two-minute summary and review about your book, what kind of brought you to, to, to decide to write it? Um, you know, where you've been going with it and and the name, how you got the name, because we think it's great.
2: Well, we really have been asked everywhere we go on how we got into this industry. And so what we decided to do was really look back and give the chronology of how we got here with the pros and the cons and the good and the bad. And so High Heels is a nod to being female in a male dominated industry and the fact that we have seen cannabis cure and change lives. So the book is actually H-E-A-L-S. It walks through how we bid and some of the adversity that we encountered, like things that you wouldn't imagine. The growers would sometimes sell to other dispensaries at half the price we got it at because the good old boys club was alive and well. And now that we do a significant enough volume, we have a seat at the table. But it was hard to get there. So High Heels walks you through that. It's basically a love letter or a cheer for anyone that wants to get into the industry and it's encouragement on that. They can do it too.
1: And where can you buy it?
2: You can buy it on Amazon in paperback or in Kindle. And we also just released it on Audible. Oh, wow. So you can sit and listen to it in your car.
1: And who, 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 uh, who was the narrator? Who, who was the one of you? It was us. Even better. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that's great then, Cause that, yeah, that's, I saw that and was reading about that, and, and uh, you know, I love your business and everything you're doing, but I, I really love the fact that you took time to tell your story um, and get it out there, because I think it is important for other people to be able to see it, right? If, if you guys can do it, then you know, hopefully others will draw inspiration from that, and we'll have all sorts of people getting into the industry.
0: That's cool. what we're hoping. Mm-hmm. Leslie and Gina, thank you very much for being guests on our show, and I look forward to meeting you in person someday, maybe on the uh, marijuana track. Or maybe when I'm uh, in Washington, D.C., lobbying Congress on marijuana issues. Well,
3: we can't. Great. We can't wait. We look forward to it, and we appreciate all that you guys are doing as well. Keep up the good work.
0: Well, that was a great interview, Larry. Those two ladies are doing great work for the industry. But um, let's talk about some music. Um, the only good news I have right now, in the middle of the pandemic, is that uh, Dead and Company and Fish have not canceled their summer tours yet. So let's hope they ride this out and uh, go on tour this summer. I'm uh, definitely looking forward to the Dead & Company shows, I believe July 9th and 10th at Folsom Field to start the tour. Um, Fish has got a lot of shows lined up, including they'll be at Dick's on Labor Day weekend once again for the 12th year in a row. Um, what do you got, Larry? Well, you know, look, for right now, it's it's nice to have that out
1: there as a possibility. If circumstances dictate that they have to change, then they will. But yeah, I mean, in any time, uh, it was always, you know, you kind of get to these, you know, what I kind of call the dog days of winter, where it can't decide if it's winter, if it's spring or it's what. There was always a Grateful Dead spring tour, a Grateful Dead summer tour to look through, to to look forward to, to kind of help pull you through that time. And yes, right now, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to a summer tour for either or both of our favorite bands. Uh, and hoping they get out there. But as we talked about, Jim, uh, we don't have to starve in the meantime. Uh, Fish still has their Tuesday night uh, dinner and a movie. Unfortunately, I was uh, not able to get the listing for what sh- uh, show that they're going to be streaming tonight or the recipe uh, for tonight. Um, but then I also discovered that on Saturday evenings, I believe at 7 o'clock Central Time, uh, Nug.net or Nugs.net is showing uh debt and company shows. So this past Saturday night, they showed the uh, they aired the show from last year at Wrigley Field, um, and it's always one of my favorite shows that they play uh, to see because it, it was a great show and it was a lot of fun. But right at the very end of the second set, uh, they were playing Mama Tried, and Bobby was playing his acoustic guitar um, because he had switched over to acoustic at some point in the middle of the set to one of the songs they were playing, and they ended Mama Tried in a way that was really kind of sudden and and didn't really sound, uh, sound all that great. But, you know, if you've gone to dead shows often enough, you know, sometimes they end with a bang and sometimes they end with a dud. But all of a sudden on stage, you could see it. And now to be able to see the video and actually have a very close-up up to the stage and see what was going on, was great. And Bobby was all excited about something and he, he switched out and he put on his electric guitar and went around to all the band members, and kept circling his finger around in the air and went back out and counted it down, three, two, one, and they jumped right back into the end of Mama Try to the... I turned 21 in prison the last uh, last go through and played it all the way through. And then they played it into a beautiful transition into Love Life, And then they, they played Love Light to close out the show. And, you know, I mean, come on. In all my years of going to see the dead, I never saw that. What band, what, what musicians are basically rehearsing on stage, right? And say, you know, I didn't like the way that sounded. Let's go back and play the end of that one more time. And it's, you know, it's that kind of stuff that you see and you're like, right, this is why I keep going to see him. So, I agree, man. I'm hoping that these summer tours go on full force and we're out there dancing away. Excellent.
0: Well, thank you, Larry. <coughs> and,
1: um, Before we go, I, I do just have to say, it, and I'm sorry, I, I know this is going to be a little bit painful for you because it's not your birthday yet, uh, but for everybody else out there in the world, uh, June 1976 box set is now delivered. Uh, Jim gets his on his birthday in May, so he's just going to have to listen to us talk about it for a little while. And I'm here to tell everybody out there that it's it's amazing. It's, you know, people talk about 73 and they talk about 77 and they talk about these years. Jim, the last couple of weeks you've been teasing this, and one of the things that you've always been very strong on, is these were the first shows after the the, the one-year break, so they were all refreshed and ready to go. And most importantly, it was the first round of shows since they came out with Blues for Allah. And to be able to hear these original versions of Help on the Way Slipknot Franklin's, and uh, the other songs off of that album that that they're playing is just tremendous. Uh, Again, on the very first night, the first night in Boston that opens the whole box set thing. Uh, They have a beautiful version of of Jerry's Mission in the Rain. Uh, It's just filled with wonderful little things like that that just really make it worthwhile. So uh, I'm even looking forward to your birthday because I want you to get to listen to this so you and I can start talking about it.
0: Well, I did hear the help slip Franks on the Grateful Dead serious radio station. So I have heard some of it, and it does sound crystal clear and amazing. <clears throat> I have been listening to uh, some 1977 shows where, again, great uh, recordings by uh, Betty Cantor. They call those Betty boards. Yep. That's right. And now they're used to uh, CDs. So, um, well, very good. Um, I think that's all for this episode of the, the uh, Deadhead Cannabis Show. So thank you very much, Larry. And uh, from Longmont, Colorado. This is Jim Marty saying goodbye for now. Larry, you want to sign us off?
1: Larry, Michigan signing off, telling everyone to stay healthy, Uh, listen to Grateful Dead, and enjoy some cannabis, and it'll help time go by faster. Thanks, everyone.